Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. This week we are talking about community service and how it relates to the work of reaching people with the gospel. And so I thought it would be appropriate to to call in and invite uh, our Adventist Community Services Director, Pastor David Halp. Thank you, David, for coming. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, it's awesome. And we had a really good talk just now, as all of my guests and I do, before we record. And it was. I hope that the Holy Spirit will be able to bring out some of those thoughts that we talked about. So just to get the ball rolling, Dave, how important do you believe community service is to the work of winning people for Christ? I believe that Jesus is our example, and as he says in in John, that we should actually follow exactly in in his example. And Jesus made community service a priority. Jesus moved in and out of towns, in and out of Palestine, touching people's lives. We see him preaching, but most of the work that he was doing was touching people at the point of need. And he utilizes that touch actually to reactivate an interest in the spirituality that he came to give them. And I believe that as a church, we are great in preaching. We are doing far better in terms of disciple making, but we are really struggling with the area of community service. And we battle today in a world where people in pain is unable to hear the gospel because it's very interesting that what pain does, it centralizes your focus on the area of their pain. And it is when we alleviate that pain that we actually make them open, activate. So Jesus Christ uh, method, Ellen White says, is the only way of true success in evangelizing people. And Jesus went in, and what did he do? He mingled with men as one who desired their good. He helped them with their needs, won their confidence. And only as a last, he invited them to follow him. What I have found in the years that I've been involved in community service is that you hardly ever have to ask the question whether they would want to follow. But as, as you are intentional and missional in your approach, and these are key words for me, the intentionality and, and missionality, if you have those two focus areas, people actually respond by asking the question, what is it that makes you different to other people? What is it that makes your service different to other services? It must be that you're a true Christian. Tell me about that which makes you care for me so much. That opens up the opportunity mm-hmm. to share them about Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if community service, I like that, that the way that Ellen White uses language there, wins their confidence. Yeah. It's a barrier breaker. Yeah. Breaking through barriers. In our conference, there's been, in the last, well, since I've been here for 10 years, there's been, I would say, the growth in the area of ministry for community services. A lot of food banks have popped up. A lot of different op shops are being started. The whole movement of centers of influence and this and that. What's your thinking in that regard? How are you feeling about that? Is that something... Matt, I'm very glad that our churches are more conscious about it. To share and be very open and honest about my inner feeling, I wish I could close a few down. And the motivation for that is that it is purely shops. There's no intentionality and no missionality behind this. And I believe that as a church, we are the reflectors of the God that we serve. 
And if we are purely setting up a, a ministry that will bring service or bring money into our church, this is not about ministry then. Whenever I drive into a town where I know we've got a, a service or a church that is operating, my question is always in, in the back of my mind, I just wonder if Jesus would be sitting in my car right now, what is the needs that he will observe which he will actually set up a ministry. In other words, what are the needs? Where would Jesus first start? He's connecting. Who would be his Mary and Martha and Lazarus that he will go and visit and start up a ministry in? Because I believe that is where our church needs to be. If we are just involved in just service to the community, then I believe we should leave it over to the Salvation Army. They do it well. But if our service and our main focus is through that service to activate people for the gospel, then I'd say, let's do it. So what do you say to the people who would claim that we should do community service without a hook? Just it's disinterested. They use that Ellen White statement and they say, look, we should do service for the community without any personal incentive. So it's as Ellen White says, disinterested benevolence. I think that's the term that she uses. How would you respond to to that, that we should be perfectly happy to be serving the community without trying to take them to the next step or bridge it into spirituality? For years, as I observed and rubbed shoulders with other community, uh, other faith-based community services, I would observe how that in one particular case, a community service will provide a service to their clients on the condition that they come and sit in a church service. That is conditionality. I believe what Ellen White is really saying is that we should provide a ministry to whoever is in need, but that our provision of that ministry should be so intentional that they will actually ask the question, Tell me, what is it that really drives you people because you are different? I don't believe that a ministry, it it is Bonhoeffer that says that a theology without community interaction means nothing. But he says so also is community involvement without evangelism is dead. And I love that. I believe that we should be involved with an intentional kingdom building intervention service in people's lives. My work started in on the streets of Cabramatta in 1999 in a ministry that I had no experience in. It became the church's first drug intervention service. Matt, I don't even drink tea and coffee. What do I know about drugs? But I know something about the heart of Jesus Christ and the love that he has for people. And for 10 years as I managed the Cabramatta and Blacktown centers, each morning before we opened our doors, we spent an hour in worship, in studying the word of God. And our focus for 10 years was how Jesus ministered to people. If we took our eyes off that focus, we had nothing to offer our clients. And secondly, we had nothing really in terms of a missional focus. And we became very quickly known as the most effective anti-drug agency. Now, please remember that all the people that worked with me were volunteers, unprofessional people. But it was the professional people that eventually, it was the psychiatrists that will phone me up and say, Mr. Haupt, we've reached 
the end that we have to offer this person. We now send this person to you. We're not sure what you guys do, but all that we know that when our clients come back from you, they'll change people. It's Jesus who changes people. Yeah, so I wanted to say this, not as, as an accusation, but it's a thought that I've had in response to people who've said that we should you know, do community service, as Ellen White said, with disinterested service. I think that they're taking that statement and really using it in a way that it was not intended. Exactly. So I think they actually misunderstand the statement. Yeah. And they try to make the statement say, hide your light before men. But Jesus said, let your light shine before men Mm -hmm. so that they could see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so disinterested service to me, like I I think it's pretty clear, that doesn't mean service that has no spirituality attached to it. I think it means service that's offered without you trying to attain to some selfish goal. So I'm doing this for you. She's in essence saying, do it. For their sake, not for your sake, not for your ego's sake, not for your pride's sake, but for Jesus' sake, because he loves them, and for their sake, because you love them, and they matter, and yeah. they're human beings. They're not like objects that you use for your glory so that you can succeed and be important and whatever. But So it's if I really do care for someone else, and I really do love someone else, why would I divorce my service for them to yeah. alleviate their physical pain and problems and issues, and then not offer them eternal salvation. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. A very interesting experience that I had, I was invited to an interagency meeting of a faith-based group. I asked them, what would you like me to speak on? They invited me to be the guest speaker at the next meeting. They said to me, what we'd like you to talk on is what you've done with Client X. I said, who's Client X? Trying to not divulge that he's one of my clients they said don't try to play this game on us we know that he's your client because he's been our client for three years with no change he's been to your service within four months we hardly recognized him tell us what did you people do with this man when i met with them i realized they each were faith-based agency that had given up on the spirituality as part of the therapy provided There is something when we bring Christ to people. We can feed them, and in feeding them, we can actually feed an addiction. We can provide a service and remove the necessity for change and transformation in their life. But when we provide a service where Jesus Christ is the center of it, motivated, and we are reflecting that in our action, there's something far more powerful in that, and lives are transformed at change. I was preaching one Sabbath in a church after the church service. I went up to the door to greet the people, and the first person that came to the door, I put up my, out my hand, he grabbed my hand, and he said to me, thank you for showing me God's love in Cabramatta. Now, Cabramatta was the first service that I set up in 1999, drug intervention service. I didn't recognize this guy. I said, what? He said, I'm a member of this church because of the love that was reflected to me in Cabramatta when I was a drug addict. Today, I've got a family, I'm clean, and I accepted Jesus as my personal savior. So I'm interested if you could share with, with the listeners of this podcast, what are some ways, like practically speaking, a person running a community service center can become more effective in reaching people with the gospel. Because I do think that we're getting better at community service. And I think we're focusing on it more and seeing the necessity. But at the same time, that's not always translating into actual Bible studies or 
people coming to faith in Christ and repentance in his name and receiving that, that power of the gospel. And it's not that it's still not a good and noble work. It's just that we would like to see God do what he did through Jesus. So do you have any practical tips for people out there? Matt, I do. Before I go there, I observe my brothers and sisters in faith. And I so often, when I visit some of these services, observe that when we open the doors, we keep the spirituality to ourselves. So in other words, let's take, for instance, a food pantry. We have a quick prayer with just us as volunteers, us, our faith. We exclude the people from outside. Then we open the doors and the people rush in as in a shop and all our volunteers step back, they stand at, at where their backs against the wall. There's no interaction. What did Jesus do? He mingled with men as one who desired their good. One of the biggest desires that humanity today have is that of knowing that someone cares. Jesus ultimately is the one that cares. And he wants to use us to reflect that characteristic to them. So firstly, I would say that we ourselves look long enough and spend sufficient time with Christ in order to be able to emulate his character. So our personal connection with Jesus Christ is paramount. From there, emulating his character, becoming involved, sitting down, talking to people, rubbing shoulders with them, asking, listening. God has given us two ears, one mouth. And I would like to suggest that it's not so much what we say that will convict them and open and activate them for the gospel. It is our willingness to ask appropriate questions and listen. I had a couple that came in and said, can you help us but have no reference to your spiritual jargon? That couple eventually, after three weeks, begged me to please share with me the good news of the gospel. Why? I spent time, I gave extra time. It is interesting how we lead people from, for instance, a depression recovery program into the gospel as we actually give them that connection with us as an individual. We care for them. We are intentional in listening and hearing and we give empathy. I was at a food pantry after the doors opened up Everyone scrambled to get their food. The staff were just serving. An elderly couple sat down after getting their food. And I looked at them and their face told me, the expression on their face told me that they were perplexed. So I went over to them. I was a stranger. I was not a regular person meeting there. I went over to them, introduced myself, just said that I'm David. And um, I get the sense that you guys are grappling with something the tears immediately started to flow from the wife's face and I said would you like to share and the husband started to uneasily move around the tears came up in her eyes the wife spoke up and she said we've just received a message that my husband has a terminal illness we don't know we've got to go from here to the specialist we don't know how we're going to move forward they came for bread and for food and for packaged tin food. I invited them right there at that moment. I said, would you like me to pray for you? I didn't know whether they were Christian or not. Knelt down so that I could be on eye level with them. Just put my hand on there, each one's hand, and I did a simple prayer. After I said amen, that elderly couple with tears just streaming from their eyes just said, no one has ever done this for us. At the end of the program, 
the leader of that group came up to me and said, how do you do that? There's nothing special in there other than just reflecting the way that Jesus took care of people. I believe that if, if we would look long enough into the face of Jesus Christ, if we would study how he touched people's lives, if he can touch our life, it started to become automatic. My wife said to me, she's a resident nurse, she said to me quite a while ago that she wanted to work less hours in the hospital so that she could do more evangelistic outreach. So I said to her, why would you want to do that? She said, what do you mean? I said, why would you want to work less hours? She said, what do you mean? I said, hasn't God placed you right at the critical point to touch people's lives? She said, but working in a public hospital restricts me to share my the, the gospel. Every morning before she leaves, we pray together and we say, Lord, give her opportunity today. You open the way. But she has to have that intentionality. Let her touch. Let the way that she deals with a person open the way for your spirit so that she can share. And she comes back night after night, sharing the opportunities that she has. And your example with the couple that you prayed with, you asked the questions, you took a genuine interest, and they were probably on an internal level looking for help and assistance, and in their hearts they needed more than food and, for, and bread, and you were there. You asked the questions, and you listened, but at the same time, when, the door, when you saw that door of opportunity, you had the holy bowl to go through it. And I think that's one of the things that's hard for church members who've never had that kind of encounter. And so they might think, David Haupt, ACS director, pastor of many churches, evangelist, successful in ministry. Of course, that's just going to be commonplace. But I want to say, in addition to what you're saying, is that every person you interact with is different. And there, there is no level of expertise that you might have that makes it like not necessary to have faith so that when you see an opportunity, you just got to go for it. And it is a bit scary, and you've got to let go of your fears, let go of your insecurities or worries about what might happen, and just say, okay, God has just given me this opportunity. I'm going to pray for you. You asked, you, can I pray for you? Mm. And, and that takes a little bit of, that takes faith and a willingness to be rejected. I just wanted to say that because I feel like holy boldness is really important because you, we have the, you had the spiritual alertness, so that you saw the opportunity, the Holy Spirit led you to those people, you had that conversation, you were like Jesus, mingling and taking an interest, and, and they were sharing and opening their hearts, and then you saw the door, you felt the conviction of the Spirit, and you went for it. And I feel like that little bit of courage, if we could all just muster that little bit of, I don't even want to call it courage, because it's faith, it's the faith of Jesus, to just believe that God put you in that position, to, to go through that door. As human beings, we fear rejection. When someone refuses or deflects, would not accept a prayer, in reality, they're not rejecting us. They're actually rejecting God. So I would like to suggest to our listeners that they actually take that bold step. We are at the moment running a depression and anxiety recovery program in Malambimbi, which I would suggest is the headquarters of New Age in our conference. And we've just completed day four. We start our meetings in prayer and close our meetings in prayer. We've got multiple people from the community. And we just, at a critical point, just ask them the question, I just feel impressed as you people are busy making changes in your life and struggling to make those changes. I just wonder, would any one of you be offended if I opened with prayer? 
not a single person stood up and said no. But we're day four of our program and we already have a person in attendance in our church. I, I was running a depression anxiety re- recovery training program and in my audience, I went through the group and asked them where they're from, what motivated them to come. One lady stood up and said, I'm from our territory area. I'm not going to tell exactly where. And she said, I've been a participant in the program three times over. In other words, the, the local church had allowed her to come back. After the first one, she was not completely healed, still battling. So they said, you can come back for free. Came back for the third time for free. She said, I've just accepted Jesus Christ. I'm now a member of the church. During Sabbath, lunchtime, I spent a little bit of time sitting down with her and asking her a little bit more of the questions and picked up that she did not understand the lingo of Adventism and therefore I I wanted to inquire a little bit more. And I said to her, so when did you become an Adventist? Oh, three weeks ago, she said. I said, so you were baptized three weeks ago? What's baptism? She didn't know what baptism meant. So I said uh, to her, what were you? Before that, three weeks ago, she says, I was a white witch. Here is a person that lived a life for the dark side, but through the care of a church because of addressing her personal needs and because the team was missionally focused, she accepted Jesus Christ and subsequently went through Bible studies and eventually was baptized. I went to a church outreach once. It wasn't an Adventist church. It was in Portland, and I don't know who the church was that was responsible for the ministry, but they had a food kitchen downtown Portland, and they the people would congregate outside before the meal. They'd be cooking the meal inside the building, and then they would open the doors, and the doors would lead to a cafeteria, but the food would still be in the kitchen, and they would plan it so that they would open the doors 30 minutes before they they had the meal ready. And so the people could, could filter in, file in, and this would be dozens of people. And while those people were filing in for that, in that for that 20-minute period, they could just sit, talk, whatever. And then a pastor from that church would get up on the stage because they had a stage in the room, and he would begin to preach a sermon. And he'd just preach a sermon while the food was being you know finalized and prepared. And these guys would just sit and listen. And then they didn't even have to stay in the room. They could walk out. They didn't have to filter in, but they would all filter in. And this pastor's like full on an exposition of a text of scripture, preaching the gospel, calling people to freedom in Christ. And, and I just remember thinking to myself, this is awesome because you've got these individuals. And it's funny because you've got these individuals who they're there, like they're homeless. They don't have anywhere else to be, no other appointments. And they're sitting in your church facility. And these Christians decided, while they're sitting here, let's preach the truth of the Word of God. And they did. And the day I was there, tears, people standing up, hugs. And of course, not everybody there was like perfectly happy with what they were hearing, but they didn't have to be there. They didn't have to. They could walk right out and they could wait until the sermon was finished and then walk in. And some of them did. But it's just giving people the opportunity it's not forcing, and I think this is something that hinders people, is they think that they're forcing their religion onto unbelievers, but it's not, the way that I see it is, is you do community service and you integrate spirituality where you're offering more. It's not forcing your religion, it's just giving a chance, giving an opportunity for response. But you're not imposing you know, your faith on someone, you're not expecting that they have to respond. You're just giving them a chance. And I think sometimes we think that if we smile enough and this isn't 
this is going to sound wrong to some people, but we think that it's just going to happen. It is true what you're saying. I agree 100%. People, when they see Jesus and the Spirit's in their heart, they will come to us and ask, and that happens. But there's also a lot of people who are too timid, and the same Spirit is working in them, and they just need us to say, what would keep you, or would you like to, or we have this other thing happening, or, you know, something. And I I really think that's important for us to, to remember and to consider. It's not forcing our religion on anyone to simply be who we are and to offer eternal life in a way that's not obtrusive or pushy or that it comes off as if that's all we care about, like we just got you here so we could get you into our organization. But I I think this happens a lot, is that the devil, he's a master at opposing the gospel. He's been doing it for before Jesus was born. Like he's, He's a master at undermining the work of God. And so I think that what he does with us is he gets this idea in our head that since there are Christians who do it the wrong way, and they are just about capturing people and imposing their religious faith on people and, and all of this kind of stuff, that, that then if you make opportunity available, then that's what you're doing too. And so in order to avoid one error, we yeah. jump into another. Yeah. And as you're busy speaking, a story comes to mind of a homeless drug addict that walked in and was really battling to walk properly. So we inquired what was happening, and he said, oh, my feet are really aching. We took him into a room and sat him down and started to remove his shoe. He immediately objected. He said, I stink. Now, I want our listeners to, to remember that when heroin addicts shoot up and they're homeless, they profusely sweat. They've got no means to go and wash themselves. Wherever they put their stuff down, Others take it, so they lose it. So they keep their clothing on, and with a profuse sweating and the not having hygiene, it eventually creates a fair bit of foul odor around them. And it was, foul is not the right word, because it becomes so thick, especially if it's in a closed room, that it feels as though you want to cut your way open to the door to open it up. And this was the case of this man. As I took his shocks that was drenched in sweat and started to remove the socks, his skin came off with the socks. And in front of me was a raw foot. I asked one of my staff to bring us a bowl of lukewarm water with antiseptic in there. And we started to wash and bathe his feet and eventually ointment on, bandaged it, new socks, new shoes. And while we were busy working with him, he felt terrible. And uh, eventually looked up into my face. He said to me, why do you do this? Don't you realize that I smell? Day after day, he came in as we bandaged it. And eventually his feet started to heal. And the question came, he said, please tell me about the Jesus that prompted you people to care so much about me. It wasn't just about food that I needed. You people truly cared. That person made a decision for Jesus Christ. And today is my brother in Christ. What I find, though, is that many of our churches are willing to present a community service, respond to the needs of the community, purely based on another church that have done successful work in the same area. So we duplicate ministries, but we never do a needs assessment in that community to 
to really discover, is this really a need? And what that ministry very quickly morphs into is a daily ritual of we've done good. Great on us. Look at this great number. And it's about the numbers of people that have come through. I believe a true caring ministry will be one where a church designs a ministry that really is well thought through, prayed through, which is a needs assessment of the community has done. The capacity of the church has been looked at as well as, and I want to introduce something else here, and that is where the missionality of the church has been assessed. I look at my own life. I grew up in an environment of emotional pain. Uh, Romans 8.28, all will work for good. Really? If you look at the worst pain scenario, is that true that all of that would work for good? Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that after explaining the gospel, Paul says that we have been crafted, created in Christ Jesus for good work. Is it possible that the pain of our church members' personal experience dedicated into the hand of God can become crafting moments for specific unique ministries? Jeremiah 29, 11, the text that we share so often as an encouragement to other people. The thoughts that God has for us are thoughts to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a future and hope, right? Where's Israel when that promise is given? They're going to get trashed for 70 years. <laughs> they are in Babylonian <laughs> captivity, in isn't captivity. it? Very difficult time. Mm-hmm. And, and in the midst of those problematic times, God says to them, I actually have a future for you and hope. The Hebrew word translated as future is different to our understanding of future. When you and I talk about future, we look in which direction? Straight ahead of us. The word arit in the Hebrew text actually means look back to discover how God is preparing you for what is ahead. I see it in the life of Daniel. I see it in the life of Joseph. Both men have gone through major pain in their life and distress and trauma. But Joseph, in Genesis 50, confronted by his brothers after they buried their father, begging him to forgive them and not to harm them, he weeps and says, Am I in the place of God? You had meant to harm me? Speaks the truth. But, look, listen to the change. He says, but God has used it for good. Which text reference is that? Romans 8.28. In order to, here comes the application. God had meant it for good, not to destroy us, but actually to create us to save many people alive. A crafting moment. What if our churches actually could start to do an assessment and people individually can do an assessment looking at their worst pain in their their life and ask the question, how has God been preparing me for missionality? That's what I've done in my own life. And that's what I challenge every time when we do a training program for Adventist Community Service. I challenge people to look at the missional preparation that God has prepared them to do a very specific ministry. I love it. That's absolutely powerful. Man, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for what you shared. It's super inspiring and super helpful. I'm going to give you the last word, but I wanted to say one thing real quick. Sometimes people can feel like there's not a community service ministry that they can participate in because their local church does not run an official community service ministry. But when I first gave my life to Christ as a Seventh-day Adventist, as a young guy, as a young guy, I joined the Adventist movement and gave my life to Christ. 
I traveled the United States as an itinerant preacher, Bible worker, volunteer, and I did this for six years. And I, at that time, made the commitment that if I ever had room in my vehicle, I would all, I'd pick up hitchhikers. In the United States, on the interstate highways, there's always people hitchhiking. And, and I literally, I would travel to 20 destinations a year at times. So I'm on the road like a trucker most of the year. And so I'd pick up homeless people and I'd say, hey, I'm going here. I can take you as far as this destination. And this would mean that sometimes I would have homeless guys with me for two days, three days, because they would be traveling, say, across country. I'd be traveling across country. And there's no better opportunity to preach the gospel than when you're doing the community service of giving someone a free ride. And I just, I would always make a point to pray with everyone who joined me. I'd, I'd ask them to pray whenever I dropped them off. These individuals would eat with me, stop at highway diners to eat. There's been probably five or six occasions where a homeless person was traveling with me and then I stayed for the night at a hotel. And I just got a hotel for the both of us and we both, I slept in one bed, they slept in another. And we just became friends for a couple days. And, and I don't say this to point out that I did anything special or to even recommend that anyone does this, but it was something that God put on my heart as an individual. I felt personally comfortable interacting with people who were hitchhiking. I came from a world of hitchhikers and people who were of that station in, in the world. And, and I just felt perfectly comfortable. It was my space. It was my comfortable space. And I, I, had, I can tell you so many good stories. There was just individuals who prayed with, cried with, brought to evangelism series, mm. ended up bringing them to where I was going to go do ministry for the next two months, who stayed with me for the whole two months, who gave their lives to Christ and all these kinds of things. And, and it was just simply because of a commitment to give them a ride and to provide them a meal and to treat them like a human being. And I remember we would just talk like friends and, and they would usually start their conversation with me with some baloney story, some fictitious dreamer story. Like I'm going to go work with my uncle and he's got a big job for me. Or I used to be this person and I fell on this hard time. And I'd usually just set the record straight and say, hey, listen, you don't need to blow smoke you know, into my ears, man. I know this isn't the case. And we just have real conversations. I treat them like real people. And we'd just enjoy life together while we yeah. drove two days across the country. And, and it was just a community service that I could do, like you were saying. We don't have to be a part of a local church's community service outreach ministry to be a servant of our community. Mm. We can take it upon ourselves individually to just find a need and help people with it. That's right. No matter what that need is, and there are everywhere. My next door neighbors are having issues in their marriage. They're separated at the moment. It breaks my heart because they have three beautiful sons. My wife and I have three beautiful sons, and I don't like to see people with three beautiful sons breaking up. Mm. And, and so we're planning on having the wife over for, for dinner. We've got a little schedule. We're going to pray for her. We're going to just be there for her, and we're going to like let her know in that meeting, we are here for you whenever you need us. You need to cry. You need to scream. You need to talk. And just try to be there, and I think that's just something that everyone can do. Mm. So last words, maybe a minute or two. Matt, we always want to do something extraordinary for God, and we look for that opportunity of doing big stuff for God. Is God necessarily wanting to use our big stuff, or is he wanting us to be just intentional with our small stuff? In Luke chapter 5, a great crowd is around Jesus, pressing in on him, and there's no more space for people to stand. So Jesus looks back, and there's two boats standing. One of them belongs to Simon Peter. He gets into the boat, asks Simon to just row out a little bit, and he sits down and he starts to preach. 
And what's the significance of this? This is Peter's means of providing food for his family. This is a ordinary thing. It's not a beautiful pulpit in a church. And Jesus uses his, his means of gaining income for his family as a pulpit to preach to thousands. But don't miss this. After the sermon, Jesus says, go and throw your net in. Jesus is a carpenter. Only carpenters could make such a foolish mistake. But Jesus is more than just a carpenter. He's also the creator. And very interesting, Peter's words, he says, nevertheless, at your command, I will. What if every Seventh-day Adventist starts each morning with whatever their normal work is, that they will say, Lord, this morning, at your command, I will be your instrument to reach the community for you. In whatever they do, they do it to the best, to the honor and glory of God's name. Well, Pastor David, thank you so much. This I've been thoroughly blessed with what you've shared today, and I know that everyone else has been thoroughly blessed as well. And thank you for coming on. And guys, be blessed. And as David has just encouraged us from God's word, let us at Jesus's word, let him direct and guide us in ministry for others in whatever capacity we can. God bless you guys, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much.